Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Yes, music composed for films always adds that extra savor to the story, especially when it's a score by Spanish composer Zacharias Martinez de la Riva. Get ready to boot up your systems, folks, for this episode of Science Factual as we dive into Automata with guest comedian Sam Bass. I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and today we're going to start off with a spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Up top, because I'm going to pretty well cover the events of the film through and through. Plus, the interview with Sam gets fairly in-depth. So, if you had plans to watch Automata, pause this episode and go watch it for free on YouTube. Automata is a 2014 English-language-Spanish-Bulgarian science fiction action film directed by Gabe Ibanez, starring Antonio Banderas, who also co-produced. The film is co-written by Ibanez with Igor Ligareta and Javier Sanchez Donate, with a relatively stacked cast, which we'll get to in a minute. It's the year 2044. Climate change in a series of solar storms has turned the surface of the planet Earth into a desert and annihilated 99.7% of Earth's population, leaving alive 21 million people across the world in a single city covered by mechanical clouds that make it rain. Trying to rebuild the world again, a robot company named ROC or Rock Corporation create Automata Pilgrim 7000 with two security protocols. First, a robot cannot harm human beings, and second, a robot cannot alter itself or another robot. But this situation changes when police officer Sean Wallace shoots and destroys a robot claiming that it was altering itself. With the company worried by the possible implications if the case were known by the people, insurance agent Jacques Vaken is chosen to investigate what happened. While Valken tries to convince his boss, friend, and brother-in-law Robert Bold to transfer him and his pregnant wife Rachel to the coast with Bold accepting the request if Valken solves the case. Going with Wallace to a brothel, they meet a robot in blue wig named Cleo, who is shot by Wallace in the belief that Cleo will go to the mysterious repairman that Valken calls the clocksmith. However, Cleo travels to a mysterious mechanical workshop, property of Dr. Susan Dupre, who informs Valken about a terrible possibility, that the robots can alter their second protocol themselves to acquire self-awareness, implying a non-human intelligence that easily should overpass the human brain after a test where she mixed a biocore from the robot that Wallace shot and Cleo's own biocore. Vulcan reports secretly to Bold about it, but Rock's chairman intercepts the message. When Dr. Dupre is killed in front of Valken by a group of child assassins hired by the Rock, he and Cleo run from the assassins, ending up outside of the city, lost in the white desert that surrounds the city. Forced to meet Rock's chairman, Bold learns about the secret of the two protocols, that the Pilgrim 7000's prototype was created without them, and, due to its unlimited intelligence and learning, it overcame its human owners just eight days later. After its escape, all the next pilgrims were created with the protocols to limit their capacity in order to have them under control. Fearing the extinction of the human race if all the pilgrims evolved beyond the protocols, Rock's chairman blames Vulcan of Dupre's assassination and the alteration of the robots to cover up to the public, and Wallace is hired to find Cleo and Vulcan to kill them. According to Vulcan, Chloe and three robots must travel across the desert to the forbidden and radioactive zone to meet the clocksmith, where Vulcan finds himself as witness of something that would change the world as nobody could have imagined. Here's a quick cast list before we get into some facts behind the film. We have Antonio Banderas as protagonist Jacques Vulcan. Brigitte Short Sorensen as Rachel Vulcan, that's his wife. 
Melanie Griffith as Dr. Susan Dupre, as well as a second uncredited role. Uh, Dylan McDermott as Wallace, the Pilgrim Hunter. Robert Forrester as Robert Bold, that's Jock's boss. Tim McInerney as Vernon Conway, company man. Andy Nyman as Ellis. David Ryall as Dominic Hawk. And Javier Bardem as the Blue Robot, a.k.a. the Clocksmith. Now that you're familiar with what happens in the film and the players involved, how about some facts? Automato was nominated for six awards, including four categories in the Goya Awards in 2015. That would be for Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, and Best Sound. At the International Film Music Critics Award, in the same year, they were up for Best Original Score for a Fantasy Sci-Fi Fiction Horror Film. And at the San Sebastian International Film Festival, aka the Golden Seashells, they were up for Best Film. Now, at the end of the credits, there is a rendition of Daisy Bell, a nod to the first song ever performed with speech synthesis on a computer. That goes a little something like this. rendition of Daisy Bell is reminiscent of the song sung by Hal 9000 as he was being shut down in Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Banderas expressed an early interest in the film after reading the script. Banderas, as producer, brought on Griffith, his wife at the time, and Bardem, who was cast in a minor role as the voice of the Blue Robot. The film was shot at New Boyana Film Studios in Sofia, Bulgaria. Banderas and Griffith were married from 1996 to 2015, making Automata the last project they worked on together. The film they first worked on is called Too Much from 1995. Rotten Tomatoes, everybody's favorite review aggregator, reports that 30% of 33 surveyed critics gave the film a positive review. The average rating was 5.27 out of 10. The site's summary states of the film that it's beautiful to look at, but narratively hollow. Automata short-circuits its handful of intriguing ideas with an overload of sci-fi cliches. Metacritic rated it a 37 out of 100 based on 13 reviews. Jay Weisberg of Variety called it a, quote, dystopic mess that borrows from numerous science fiction films. Jonathan Holland of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, The overwrought, uncontrolled sci-fi thriller Automata is a disappointing example of a film that lacks the imagination to follow persuasively through on its engaging initial premise. Stan Schroeder remarked an influence of Philip K. Dick's novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which served as the basis for the popular Blade Runner film, and Isaac Asimov's short story Runaround, which introduced Asimov's three laws of robotics, which are close to the film's robot protocols. Cleo, the feminine blue-haired robot who helps Vakken in his search for the mysterious clocksmith that repairs robots, is that uncredited voiceover done by Melanie Griffith. The protagonist's name, Jacques Vakken, is probably a reference to Jacques de Vaucanson, an 18th-century inventor famous for his creation of intricate clockwork automata. The word automata is a plural of automation, which comes from the Greek word automatos, meaning self-acting or acting on its own, which was in use as early as ancient Greece. Modern words like automatic, in use since the 18th century, and automation, in use since the 1940s, are of the same origins. Elena Anaya, who worked with director Gabe Ibanez on Hierro in 2009, gave the screenplay to Antonio Banderas while shooting The Skin I Live In in 2011. The film takes place in the year 2044, and this is the second movie where Melanie Griffith appears related with robots and post-apocalyptic futures. The first was Cherry 2000 in 1987. The title Automata was inspired by the musical band Steam Powered Giraffe, whom the writers are fans of. You can get a little taste of their catalog after Sam's set later. The newspapers seen early on during the montage explaining the robot's creation and failure to stop the desert is called De Omne Rescibili, which means everything known or, more loosely, all the news fit to print. Dylan McDermott and Robert Foster both worked on Olympus Has Fallen in 2013. The role of Dominic Hawk, played by David Ryle, was originally offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not a tumor. 
Under special thanks in the credits, Power Horse Energy Drink is listed, which can be seen in advertisements throughout the film. Up next, we have an interview with Sam Bass, local comedian. We met up at Oaks Bottom in Selwood, Portland, to chat about the 2014 sci-fi film before heading out to the Firkin Tavern open mic, hosted every Tuesday evening by dynamic duo Kelly Irwin and Amanda Martin-Tully. I had Kelly on episode 9 of Science Factual, where we got into Mars Attacks, so definitely check that episode out as well. Before we jump into my interview with Sam, I'd like to acknowledge some technical difficulties on the mic. So, half of the interview sounds like it was conducted over the phone, but that's not to say that it was phoned in. Well, I've done that before. I've also left my phone on stage after recording a set, and like the other person started, I've been like, oh, there's my phone. Oh, and then go up like sneakily after they're done, and the host has been like looking at me like, what are you doing? Really? Oh, they, well, is it initially or? Serious. Uh, yeah, no, it, no, not like, what are you doing? It's more like, it's right. And it's okay. like, you've done your set, you know? <laughs> yeah, why are you throwing back up here? Yeah. Got it. Like, yeah. I'm just a dumbass and I left my phone. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on a high when I get out of the stage. I can't remember everything I brought up. <laughs> like, oh, shit. And I run back up and they're at it right as the comic is up there. Well, that's, that's just a testament to what you're drinking. <laughs> and and the person who's doing that drinking, folks, this is Sam Bass. Hi, Sam. Hey. What's up, buddy? I'm I'm alive. Yeah, that that makes two of us. <laughs> uh, we are here. We were going to meet up at my father's place on Friday uh, before the comedy open mic there, but I am celebrating the five year anniversary with my beautiful wife. Oh, okay. so we'll be going down to San Francisco instead. We are meeting outside of Oaks Bottom in, this would be Selwood. Yeah, yeah. Selwood. And uh, it was a fun show. Uh, Charlie Arnell Jr. put on a show. I was on it. It was super fun. Never been in this area before, really. So it was cool to check it out. And I thank you for meeting me over here. Yeah. Likely going to go see what's going on at Birkin Yeah. after this. Shout out to... Todd behind the bar over there and Kelly and Amanda for putting on that mic every week, which is not easy uh, because of all of us. We are here to talk about uh, automata. So that is this a tomato tomato situation? <laughs> is it like a automato automato? Automata. I believe it's automata. Okay. Automata. I I don't. I heard automata. Automata. Well, if we're if we're doing it in in Spanish pronunciation and i could be butchering this but uh i'll tell him about that oh he sounds way better the way he said okay i'd rather you say it than i because well sound like i claim that spanish is my second language so i hope i got that right <laughs> okay good i hope i i hope that i'm gonna take your word a lot i know you said you're from a different country well, the Netherlands, but it, nobody speaks Dutch, which is why my, my father was adamant about me learning a practical second. Oh, crap. Yeah, oh, which is good. I should have learned Chinese. That's true. You know, hey, that's definitely true. I, yeah. You've gone to China. You've been yeah. to China. I learned, I took a year of Chinese. You have a great bit about China. <laughs> I have some, I was worried about China, uh, drinking way too much alcohol in China <laughs> and wrecking my liver mm. for like, 25 or 45 days that I was there. Um, right, because you were drinking four CEOs? Is that what it was? No. Well, you were... Um, no, 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 they literally... No, I'm working on the bit. I do knew jokes all the time as Reese Lowe. And sure. unfortunately, that makes me more of a, a developing wine situation than really, um, mm. you know, a beer situation. Okay. Uh, but hopefully... You're working on your I'm vintage. working on my vintage. But yeah, and it's like, um, what the hell were you talking about? I'm a little stoned. That's okay. <laughs> hey, are we all? This is Portland after all. <laughs> yeah, no, we're talking about drinking in China. Oh, drinking in China, yeah. So I wrecked my liver, and basically what happened was uh, I can't drink alcohol really anymore after that. And, and, and they actually hire people, CEOs will hire people to drink for them because they don't want to wreck their liver. Mm. Um, they... So you did about 10 years of hard drinking within a month. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the Asian countries make 
serious boost. I mean, the, the Koreans have soju. It's not, it's strong. It's like stronger. three times, three times stronger than soju. Really? Yeah, no, I don't know if I can take with that. I, I put, and I, my liver is dust. I'm, I might die. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll make it through this interview. Uh, probably. So Sam, let me, let me ask you this. What's your Instagram? Okay. How can people follow you on, on the interwebs? Yeah. Uh, I'm just Sam Bass comedy on Instagram and the TikTok. Okay. Using the TikTok machine, speaking to China. I am a using the Chinese machine. Yeah, it is uh it's interesting, man. That is a very interesting media. It's a like crack cocaine version of Instagram. Sure, I can see that. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't go the way of Vine. Oh yeah, yeah it may very well do that. May it might, and it might also take my uh, all my money out of my bank account. Speaking of technology. I'm a little worried about it. Yeah. Well, and, and that's kind of the topic of today's episode about a Tom FF. Yeah. Or I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm gonna Amer- I'm gonna bastardize it with my American pronunciation <laughs> of automata. Well, Antonio Banderas is the main star, and he, uh, I'm sure he would say it's the best out of all of us. I'm sure, I'm sure he would. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great. That was an amazing movie when I first saw it. You don't know this or maybe you do but i have been writing cyberpunk fiction for 10 years over 10 years oh that's right yeah is that why cyberpunk 2077 isn't working i was a developer and still <laughs> developing just like my comedy no i i actually played that game that game was cool for like the first month sure and then the cascading bugs yeah. came in. I actually really love that game more with the bugs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's hot takes over you, here for Back. You want to know why? <laughs> why? Why is that? <laughs> because it was hilarious. Like, every, uh, things that would happen were so random and hilarious. Yes, I love not being. It's so funny when I can't com- successfully complete a game. I called my car and it appeared when there were bugs, it would appear beat the hell up. Like, it had gone through. Uh, a shredder <laughs> and I could still get in it and it just it cracked me up so hard to realize that these cards been through L to get to me so like it hits all of the elements okay. in the creation from where it was to where you are it like happens to hit all the that, that's kind of I've actually got to buy it I thought it was hilarious and I was like alright I'll get in my broke chest car <laughs> runs like a champ it runs perfect yeah so Sam what was your first exposure to science fiction uh, I was nine years old, and I read Ender's Game. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, and I got into sci-fi after that. I did for you for not saying Star Wars. I didn't even know what the hell Star Wars was. I Yeah, nine years old, but I think I knew Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. But, these, are, these are excellent answers. I'm going to start track. But yeah, I knew, I, I read Ender's Game after getting it, after reading the Hobbit uh, series. Totally the fantasy, but I read Ender's Game. I was like, sci-fi is awesome, of course, so. Sci-fi is awesome. I agree. So uh, what do you know about the laws of robotics? Because the, these are pretty prevalent in the fundamental ideas behind the plot of the movie. Yeah, they only had two laws. Uh, one, you couldn't hurt the human. Two, you can't modify yourself. You can't modify yourself. Right. Or your programming. Or your program, yeah. So... Do you know what those are based on? But it's based on the three laws from As- Isaac As- uh, Asimov. That's correct, yeah. Good, good for you, Sam. I did... <laughs> Dude, a lot of people don't know. I yeah, yeah. And, and I know that sounded super sarcastic because I'm a douchebag, but also, like, I, I mean it insofar as... Uh, and the third law is... Oh, protect its own existence. Why well, if it doesn't conflict with the first, first or second law? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's an important law, but it's interesting how they only chose two laws in this movie. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I, I think because it leaves open, because there's an AI sentience that was created that was the prototype for all of the Pilgrim robots. Yeah. That's, that's and they shut it down because it was gaining a higher level of consciousness. And we're going to talk about the differentiation between consciousness and sentience because i talk a lot about sentience and not enough about okay sentience is simply the ability to react to stimuli consciousness really has to do with processing that stimuli on a higher mental plane than just a physical or chemical reaction 
Yeah, or a programming reaction in the instance of the of the Pilgrim robot series. Right. When you asked, I already knew him. Sure. I didn't have to research him, but I did look him up again. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't recite them. I mean, I know what the Bill of Rights is, but it, I mean, I know we the people, but other than that, it's, or that's actually the preamble to the Constitution. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, you right. put a gun to my head. These, these guys who ask questions on the street, like $100, like, what's the first line of the preamble of the Constitution? I would probably say something wrong, even though I recited it a dozen times in civics class. Yeah. You know, like we, and that has to do with memory insofar as that it's important, just as important to forget things as it is to remember things. Specialized memory. I, yeah. I think it's important. Like, I don't remember things that I think are not important till they, and, and if something becomes important, then I can just go to it. Sure. I don't need like my comedy material. I forget that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm up there like, well, I'll see the side. Like, hold it. Index card in my pocket. Yeah. Do you remember your first robot, though? Like, what was the first? Because mine was the Iron Giant that I remember seeing. Like, that was the first robot that I remember. Robot, like, movie or? Or just a character. Experience? Yeah. Sure. Ooh, Transformers. Okay. Yeah, more than the animated series. The original cartoon. Yeah. That came out, and I bought Transformers. Nice. I had Optimus Prime. Solid. Yeah, man. He was, that was, uh, yeah. And then, um, then they came out with a movie and I, it killed my childhood dream. So, oh, you know what? I misspoke. My, I had a Robocop, oh, Robocop action figure. Like, that was the first thing I ever had. That's an awesome action figure. Yeah. That and then Street Shark. Wasn't it kind of bigger too? Yes. Yeah. It was, it was quite big. Yeah. It was like yeah. the Santa's water bottle. It was like, yeah. like a legit action figure. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I couldn't get one of those. Had all sorts of interchangeable parts. It was badass. Had a gun. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, and, you know, like, I think, like, our fascination with robots has to do with our mortality. You yeah. know, like, it's a humanoid figure that is, for all intents and purposes, immortal or at least, like, in some cases, invincible. We'd like to think so. Sure. Uh, we, we like to think so because we invent it, but... Mm. In the end, I think nothing lasts forever. Yeah. You know, it's all well, and and I think that's I think that the solar flare is a good plot device to that point from Automata. Yeah, they, I'm going to say it like that. It, 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 we're going to say it differently. Yeah, we're going to say it differently. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and, it, and it shows how delicate our technology is. You know, like we we think that we're so hyper advanced and really the people coming out on top after a solar flare are the Amish. Yeah, the Amish uh probably doing much, much better. Uh their stem cells are still intact. We we've destroyed all ours with chemicals. Yeah. Uh, oh dude, they've only got some strong ass feet. Yeah. No process to inject in that place. Ours are being held together by microplastics. <laughs> That's so true. So what was, what was your first exposure to Antonio Bandera? Oh, man, Desperado. Yes. I uh, love that movie. Sure. That was, uh, I wanted to be Antonio Bandera. Uh, I wanted to be like the rock and roll action dude. He was like doing parkour and stuff, too. Badass. Yeah. That was a great movie. Badass, and then, dude. And then see what, this came out what, in 2014, right? This movie came out in yeah. 2014. I mean, he was already, what, like in his early 50s? Like he's he's one of these dudes who are just gonna keep doing movies until the day he dies. I feel. Like. Yeah, him and him and Jean Claude Van Damme and okay uh, and and now I, I guess, thank you for pronouncing that correctly. I followed him on uh, Instagram. He dances a lot. And yeah, somebody does. Yeah. Bathrobe a lot. Who doesn't? <laughs> I don't have a bathrobe. Um, to dance. Well, okay, sure, fair, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, my mine was uh, Zorro. Zorro. Yeah. Uh, that was uh that was a great movie too. With the same actress Selma Hayek was in both. Or no, she's a different leading actress, right? Zorro. Yeah, it's Catherine Zeta Jones. Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah. I also forgot that fucking Toothy Steve Buscemi's in Desperado. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is uh all them teeth are in there. He plays the best side roles I have ever He's such a good supporting actor. He, his role in Fargo is my favorite Steve Buscemi role. It's hard. It's, it's, that well, okay, that in him and uh, uh, Billy Madison when he's when he, he's like putting on the lipstick and like he crosses off Billy Madison's name off the list. Oh, right. He's like polishing his rifle when he calls. It's subtle. It's so good. It makes me. That's probably the funniest part of the whole movie. For me. Yeah. 
then it, and then when he comes in at the end of the auditorium and he, yeah. he like he could cover them he's like complete the yeah. show <laughs> so who's your favorite character in the movie yeah so you know i i watched it a few times and you know of course every a lot of people usually want to say like the hero or whatever or the main character or whatever but i really like robert foster okay who has played uh funny enough he plays robert bold the uh shock uh boss yeah yeah i really like this character because he was trying to take care of everybody i thought he just had the worst part like the hardest role if we're talking about if this is reality he had like one of the hardest roles in the whole movie well talking about an uphill battle in an otherwise bleak <laughs> i know i mean like like you're it's not like you know things are easy they went if, how much of the percentage of earth's population was wiped out like 99 percent like yeah it's like it's something ridiculous i mean you know so like you're struggling to survive as it is so to be a sweetheart on top of it it's yeah. such a hard, it's like, cause, I mean, you know, it's, it's like a nice boss. Yeah, at, at the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day, it was a nice boss. He didn't want to hurt anybody. No. And he was trying to inspire uh, Jacques Antonio Banderas uh, to uh, stay on the job longer. Yeah. And stay there, stay in. Well, and, and for good reason. Yeah. Not, not just to hug down, you know, no, the no, Before the, the, the deep start even came up. Right. You know, they were, it, I mean, it came up, but it was like a loose uh red they're like yeah, sure yeah but well he's he's more so hearkening to like the hopelessness of the situation he's like he's a hope instiller yeah yeah he had to make you feel a little bit better about your day <laughs> well it is really like a bleak existence i mean antonio Banderas has that baby on the way that's the only thing right. you make him oh really yeah well and i think that that speaks to the hopelessness of the situation or scenario because you know like it, just like with a movie like children of men Right. You know, like the whole thing is like, okay, well, you know, if only we could procreate, you know, like we could have some sort of hope for the future. Otherwise, we're just like, what are we holding on to? Right. And it's always the future is now. It's not, uh, we see the future, we'll prepare for it. It's like, oh, okay, the future's here. We have to do something now about it. <laughs> Climate change. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Let's say something like that. Or preparing against the solar flare. Yeah. I mean, we have no defense against it, and they happen all the time. Like, just because one has to slap its way fucking toward Earth doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Oh, well, you are aware that we have had major solar flares in the 80s. Uh, and, uh, well, there was a major one in the 80s that literally melted lines and, and put uh, things on fire. Did any elect electricity? No, I was not. I didn't realize. Yeah. It, oh, snap. Yeah, literally, it was so intense that it literally set things on fire that's why we actually have worked really hard uh to do our best to insulate everything as much as possible against that kind of activity sure but um not it's not as well insulated as it really needs to be to deal with like that level of solar we haven't experienced that level in the very since the 1800s no i i would call that if not a near extinction event an extinction event well, yeah, I mean, like, like the likelihood of the human race bouncing back from that type of event, regardless of our technology, and I think to speak to this movie in spite of our technology, right. yeah, I, I, it, it's pretty unlikely. Well, in this movie, yeah, this, they had a uh, much more extreme version. Theirs was like everything burned down, like, and every, and every, and there was radioactive radio sounds. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah totally. So this, uh, what I'm talking about is like a baby compared to. Yeah. Oh, that's an annihilation. Of it. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, uh, let me ask you this: Which characters do you identify with the most? And not if not Robert Bolt, but is there because those are two different questions. Like, who, yeah. who do you, uh, who's your favorite character versus who do you identify with? Because I identify with Jacques just simply because I, I will fight tooth and nail to the last. Yeah. So I get his outlook at the beginning of the movie, but I also get his passion toward you know, like yeah, hanging on right to what what he had, what little he had. Which is a form of desperation. He's just trying not to see outside of the tunnel. Sure. Uh, I think. Yeah. Like he, but then at the end, he starts seeing outside of it. But then he goes, I guess he goes back to his life. But he sees like it, it's just, it's the end. Well, I'm not going to get too much in here right now. But as you say, I identify with uh, Jacques, uh, the hero. Sure. The main character. Yeah. The protagonist. Protagonist, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's not necessarily a hero story. Yeah, I mean, I think, 
at the end, he does, you know, like the, the, the robots that go off into the desert that he helps facilitate that sword, you know, like, I mean, that you could call that a heroic move. Right. Just to like recognize their sovereignty and consciousness and sentience and be like, okay, well, like, I recognize that you have the right to go exist without persecution. Right. And, and, and self sustain, you know, which is counterintuitive to the culture that you see in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the organization that he works with and, you know, just kind of like the hunt against robots that are violating the second law. Yeah. That's his, I mean, he, he seems like he's an investigator. He's not really sure. a hunter so much, but he's just an investigator. No, but there are hunters in the movie. Yeah. There are hunters. Sure. Yeah. The police, I mean, that's the rock. Yeah. Bad guy or what, I forgot his name, but he was like the, the, the dirty, hairy type pop kind of guy, like yeah, shoots first, asks questions later. Yeah, Dylan McDermott is Walt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, Wallace's character, I would call him a hunter. Yeah, Wallace was a hunter, and he was felt like he was the bad guy. <clears throat> like he felt, I said he felt like he felt like the bad guy no matter what. Like he was bad against humans, bad against robots. He did yeah. not care. No, he was just a bad dude. That, that's for certain. He played a good, good bad dude, though. Dylan McDermott. Yeah. And I, I like that um, Melanie Griffith plays Dr. Dupree. That's wild. And then you know they're married. He, oh, the, who is? Melanie Griffith. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And yeah, I, 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 yeah, you said something about that. You essentially you have some kind of knowledge of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll leave it at that. But yeah, yeah. I am familiar with them. Familiar with them. Cool that they uh, that she was in there w- with him in, in real life. Sweethearts. Yeah, they're both super sweet, and uh, you know, I, I I have nothing but good things to say. I wish you guys. Okay, I'm. I don't want to. I, can I do spoilers? Is it okay? Oh yeah, there's oh. been a, there's been a spoiler. Oh, I yeah. Oh yeah. So she got shot. Yeah. I was. It would. I mean, I expected it. But I didn't expect it to be so abrupt the way it happened. That's good writing. It was great. That's actually good writing. Yeah. I, I, because it, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that. It is something that you'd expect. It's like this, this character is going to be sacrificed. I didn't expect life. it to be a kid. Okay. <laughs> when, it, when she opened the door, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be dark. Well, kid, kids are pieces of shit. That's true. <laughs> I don't have one. That's why. Hey, me too. All two cats. Amen to that. Well, I'm a fur daddy, too. Yeah, I can't deal with anything other than um, my cat at this point in my life. <laughs> right on. So she uh, she played an a interesting role. And I, I I think the role was very important, and I felt like... Well, especially with Cleo. It was so she, short. Well, she, she voices Cleo as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was so short-lived. And it, Not Dupree, but Melanie Griffith. Yeah, Melanie Griffith's role well, in, the, in the movie was so short-lived that it made me actually really feel... Like, I admit her. Mm. When she died, I actually felt like I missed her when she died. Because mm. she had... Like, there was more there. Well, no, that could have been sport. Like, I know, like, I literally missed... Like, you don't really miss a character after they die. You're like, all right, fine. They're finally... It's their time to die. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, but when she died, I was like, it was so unexpected and so sudden. And I thought we were just kind of getting into her character. And it, when she died, I was like, oh, I kind of miss her. Like, as a human would miss somebody that they just met and all that. You know, huh. I, it, it was weird. I never felt that with a movie before, but I felt that with her and her character in this movie. All right, second recording. No, second, re- <laughs> we're making it happen. Yeah. All right, so uh, who's your least favorite character right. and why? Yes, least favorite character and why would definitely be the cus- uh, the person in the beginning of the movie, the opening scene. Jock is taking care of the customer service complaint. Yeah. He is saying that the robot pet the dog too hard and basically killed the dog. So he he wants some so about robot strength. Robot strength and he wants some compensation of some sort and his wife is crying. I mean I mean you know, I just got a huge reminder of every single uh annoying customer I had to deal with in the twenty years of customer service and sales that I, I've uh, had to be in. So well, th- thank you for your service. Thanks. And I just <laughs> Your, your customer service. Yeah, my customer service. I feel like I need a badge for everybody I didn't kill. <laughs> but oh, uh, I just am saying is that basically he just reminded me of like a Karen type or whatever. Just reminded me of a of a type of person that 
just wants something for nothing and wants to unload their emotions on people um, without any without being an adult and taking care of it for themselves. Sure. Well, that is certainly prevalent now, and I'm sure it will be more prevalent in 2044, especially the trajectory that we're on. Um, so let, I, I feel like Automata was kind of underrated. You know, like in yeah. this time, it had a lot of competition. Yeah. And there was stuff like Interstellar coming out. And it, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of the critical negativity about the film has to do with like, you know, people said it was a pet film for Banderas and Griffith because they're they're married. Uh, you know, so it was, it was kind of like a yeah, couple's project film kind of thing. Right. I don't look at it that way. No. Yeah, because it touches on a lot of poignant pieces. Like we were talking about the solar flare. That's totally plausible. Yeah. I, I mean, the plot point and the, the rate of development of technology. I mean, you know, let's say that the solar flare occurs in the year 2040. Right. That is 18 years from now. And with the development of robotics and automation and AI, it's not that far off to kind of place the level of technology that you see in the movie in our l actual potential time frame. Yeah, I mean, it could, I think anything uh, could definitely happen. But it, at this point where we're at with technology, we're definitely on the cusp of being able to make this kind of thing happen if we really had to. Uh, I've seen robots. In, I was in Japan. I saw a robot shaking hands with people and stuff. I mean, like a little, a, a literal robot in a Honda showroom walking around doing things. And uh, so I feel like the future is now in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, it's not. Um, I don't, yeah. The solar flare that happened um, back in the 1800s destroyed a lot of stuff, but it was nothing like what the movie was saying. It was basically like a total annihilation. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I think that with the reliance on technology between then and now, it would be, it would be more of a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And and hang on two yeah. seconds. Sorry. I I think my yeah. So that's a battery problem. We can get a jump. Let's let's uh let's get a jump. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna make it to Firkin. <laughs> It's a, you're, you park nearby. I park nearby. Do you have uh, cables? I have cables. Okay. Okay. We'll jump it. Okay. We're safe. We'll worry about that when we get Let's finish this. Let's finish this. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, back to it. Uh, well, given, given solar flares, do you think that our society will reach that level of sophistication? And not even with solar flares, just our where we are at. Yeah. With shit, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem very feasible that we're going to invest the amount of time, effort, and materials into a robotic class that is subservient. Well, I think that rich people... Or at least a humanoid one. Yeah, I think, well, I think rich people want to have robots, and I think that we're going to have them um, because they want to have robots around to do the things that poor people can do, but they don't want to have to deal with poor people, so I think that they're going to... I think that the robots are going to be around and I think they're going to be taking over as a means towards perpetuating class separation. Yeah, they're definitely, <laughs> I think, I definitely think that uh, we're going to have robots, but not because of the reason that I'd like to have robots, but because of more for uh, people to just not have to deal with any, you know, to, to be able to separate themselves from the class further so they don't have to deal with us. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. I could absolutely see but, that. I, I mean, you know, that's the reason for a lot of technology happening, I think. But, uh, you know, I don't know. So yeah. speaking of classism and robots, do you think that robots will eventually gain inalienable rights? Or do, like, do you think that they should have, in, or at least androids? I mean, the, and the difference between that is that it's a humanoid-based robot. Whether or not they have a higher level of artificial intelligence that can be likened to higher sentience or consciousness... I can't really speak to that because we're still in the baby steps of it. But should you're familiar with data from yeah. the next generation? One of my favorite characters should absolutely have rights. Yeah, yeah, he should. But have should rights. but should the arm on an you know like the auto assembly line should that have rights? Right, because it does have a sent some sentience. It can 
it can uh, it responds to programming. Yeah, responds to stimuli of some sort, that but not on a, but not in a higher degree. Yeah, because there are degrees of sentience. There's like basic chemical or programming based reaction. There's stimuli based reaction, and then there's like situational or contextual reaction that has to do with like based in language and, and societal structure. Yeah, I mean, I'm no scientist, but I I just knew that. You're not. <laughs> I'd uh, I'd like to. I wanted to be. I actually started studying biochemistry, and then uh, also studied some computer science. And I just found out because I'm dyslexic, and I have uh, have probably some other issues that I don't know about because I can't afford therapy. So I think that uh, it just didn't go through with me. So I just decided to go to journalism. I think that as far as when it comes to sentience and when it comes to consciousness, there's a, there's a distinct difference because you're not just taking the stimuli and reacting to it. You're actually processing and coming up to a reaction and, and yeah. like an idea of what you're reacting to. And those reactions are unique based on the situation. Yeah. And that, and that can be the case with something that is, you know, responding to programming, but that program is programming is typically set. Right. You know, like there there could be a degree of randomness, but there is a finite degree to which that randomness can occur within. Yeah. In randomness with which an individual can react, even though sometimes that behavior can be predictable, is truly random. You never know what a person's going to do. Right. Like not knowing it's uh, Tuesday uh, after working through the night on a Monday. Right. <laughs> I know what that's all about. <laughs> you know, um, you're like, what day is it? Yeah, I don't know. Time's a construct. It's yeah. So is reality. All right. Yeah, but the conscious uh, being conscious of your of of everything and and coming up with a an idea of it and actually having an intellectual thought process about it um, that goes beyond just what you're perceiving uh, is, I would think, the point where you would give rights to that. Um, whatever that is that can enter that in that entity yeah. yeah because then you're because it's not beholden to a physical form right it's not like a rock or whatever i mean i don't know if a rock is alive or not but i you know th- i don't think so i don't think it is but they're starting to talk about plants and how they talk to each other uh well well uh chemically yeah yeah veg- sure vegetarian and that is a degree of sentience yeah but is it is it a higher level of organization of thoughts and 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 potential to respond to stimuli in a thought process base as opposed to chemical base. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't think, know. I, I don't think that they have the nervous structure to do that, but our understanding of physicality and physics is, is probably pretty fundamental on a universal scale. Well, I think like plants are either very diabolical, so they haven't invented like weaponry to fight us. They just have coursed us in other ways to make them well, they, I, mean, sometimes, I mean, biologically they have. Well, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, holly or oak or pollen. Yeah, I, I, dude, every time a tree jizzes in my nose, like, yeah. I could start seasoning all your plants. It's like, thanks for, thanks for that uh, yeah. seasonal cocaine. Yeah, yeah I love Absolutely. it. Yeah, <laughs> love, love me some saw palm. Some wonderful powder on my car. Pollen. Love it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, the movie being underrated and all that stuff, I, for, I I wanted to touch on that. You know, Snowpiercer came out in 2014 as okay. well, and that was Great a movie. very underrated movie at that time. Sure. And I was looking at all the movies that came out during that time, like the top 100 movies, and okay. all most of the top movies were Marvel, DC, and Disney. Yeah, did take a lion's share of the marketplace. Totally yeah. dominated the marketplace. So. Um, for Antonio Banderas to get noticed, it would have to be like the 1990s again. Sure. Okay. That's a, that's an excellent point. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely a driving factor. So, do you think that the same story with more relevant actors at the time would have gone would have gained more notoriety? No, because it's not the flashy. Mm. Um, Marvel as yeah. Transformers as Michael Bay kind of shit yeah. that was coming out at the time. Exactly, and yeah. everyone's flocking that because they want that Big Bang experience. They want to be, they want to have, you know, they want to get the special effects just in their eyes. Uh, you well, know, if you want the Big Bang experience, come and see me at Mister Peeps Two in Beaverton, <laughs> working the graveyard shift. <laughs> Can certainly point you in the right direction. There you go, <laughs> uh, Sam. What's coming up in your comedy schedule? 
Yeah, um, I am just mostly doing open mics. Uh, right now, I'm working on getting booked. It's, uh, you know, it's a work in progress because I'm doing so much new material all the time. Mm. But, um, yeah, we try good. trying to find what lands. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I find what lands, and then I go for more stuff. <laughs> your, your vegan butthole bit is so funny. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I got it. I, and I'm, I'm work. I'm making and trying to make that better. Um, but yeah, so I am, uh, gonna, I mostly do like Dante's, Arrowwood, um, some of the open mics in Portland and, you know, you can find them on laughspdx.com usually, but. Churchill. Really, like Wednesday night and uh, and Thursday and uh, sometimes Sunday, pretty good day. Like Sunday's a stack day. Yeah, Thursdays and Sundays are a stack day. Yeah, definitely check out lastpdx.com. Shout out Brent Lowry. Yeah, uh, definitely shout out Arrowwood. That's a great room. Um, cool. Well, I, I will be definitely seeing you at those mics and and totally. most probably on showcases coming up soon. Sam, I, I appreciate you coming and talking to me with about this, bud. Awesome, man. Hey, I appreciate you talking with me too, Reese. And well, let's let's get my car started. Yeah, let's get your car jazzed and, up. And then we'll we'll maybe go over to Firkin. Maybe make it to Firkin in time. I have to go do my car to give you some juice. This is literally the life of a stand-up comedian. <laughs> this is what happens. This is not the first time this has happened. Oh no. All right, maybe I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Make sure you stick around to the end of this episode for Sam's recent set over at the Arrowwood Open Mic, and make sure to follow him on Instagram, that's at Sam Bass Comedy. The mic at Arrowwood takes place every Wednesday starting at 8.30 with host Brent Lowry. Check out LaughsPDX.com for all the best comedy shows and mics in Portland. That's also run by Brent, so thanks dude for providing the resource to the community. Since Automata uses the natural disaster of a solar flare event to frame the setting of the story, Let's learn a little bit more about that finicky star we rely upon to sustain life on our planet for this week's Water Cooler Facts. A solar flare is an intense burst of electromagnetic radiation generated in the sun's atmosphere. The layers of sparse but hot gas that lie above its visible surface or photosphere. The vast amounts of energy released by a typical solar flare are mostly radiated away in the ultraviolet and x-ray part of the electromagnetic spectrum at shorter wavelengths with higher energies than visible light. Solar flares can heat nearby material in the sun's atmosphere, launching huge blobs of plasma at Earth in what's known as a coronal mass ejection. Earth's atmosphere filters out most of these wavelengths, so satellites and specialized instruments aboard spacecraft are the main ways scientists detect the high-energy radiation from flares. However, the visible light component of a flare can be viewed from Earth using specialized solar-observing telescopes that filter out all but a narrow band of wavelengths. On rare occasions, powerful flares can even be spotted as intense star-like points of light standing out against the disk of the sun when it is viewed by safe projection through a telescope, according to the American Astronomical Society. Quote, solar flares are classed according to how bright they are in soft x-rays. Stephanie Yardley, a space weather specialist at University College London's Mullard Space Science Laboratory in the UK, told Live Science. Quote, the weakest flares are A or B class, while the strongest flares are C, M, or X class. Each letter represents an increase in energy by a factor of 10, and within each class there is a number scale from 1 to 9. The biggest event on record was the Carrington event in 1859, named for English astronomer Richard Carrington, who spotted it by chance while observing the sun, which has an estimated soft X-ray peak of X-45. The second strongest event was an X-35-class solar flare on the 4th of November in 2003. There have been recent solar flares, as recent as this year in 2022, uh, the strength and frequency of flares, along with many other aspects of solar activity, varies in a, quote, solar cycle that lasts roughly 11 years. This is the time it takes for an orderly global magnetic field to form amid the sun's churning plasma, then intensify and become tangled and completely break down. The formation of magnetic field loops, sunspots, and flares is greatest in the middle of this cycle, known as a solar maximum. As the current solar maximum, predicted to occur around 2024, approaches, the number of flares is currently increasing sharply. Hey, who knows, with the way things are going nowadays, we might be closer to something like the setting of Automata or Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm.
There were just a couple of sources for this week's episode, which include imdb.com, livescience.com, or is it livescience.com? I don't know. Of course, not to mention wikipedia.com, because if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. Next week's episode is going to hit you right in the nostalgia if you're a 90s kid like me, because we're covering Animorphs with Portland comedian David Kildall. I'm super stoked for this episode, as I grew up on both the books and television series. Tobias, I'm looking at you. You can catch that episode on Tuesday, August 16th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Download the Shady Pines Radio app wherever you download your apps for 24-7 content coming at you from Portland and beyond. Not to mention future episodes of Science Factual. Speaking of future episodes of Science Factual, I am happy to announce that episode 42 is going to be done in conjunction with Forgotten Fantasies and Michael Garcia over at Fourth Wall PDX. Uh, We will be doing a live viewing of the best bits of Jurassic Park along with guest Dylan Jones and a live audience. Fuck yeah, John Williams, you are super awesome. Definitely check out the Science Factual Instagram page, that's at Science Factual Pod, for more information on timing and tickets. In the meantime, spice up the rest of your day with this killer lineup of awesome shows. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesdays. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart at 10 a.m., At 11 a.m., Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Adams. At 2 p.m., The Prog Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your Own Private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beat Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with your psychic friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. And at 10 p.m., Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio. Did you pack your bags for the desert? Don't forget this awesome set from Sam before you go. Enjoy! Sam and Max, everybody! Hey! Yo! Thanks for giving up for Brent! There's still some people left in here. That's awesome. You're here! Yeah! Wow, there's people. Man, you guys are dating? No? Together for a long time? Couple years. Couple years? Okay. I'm dating. Trying to. I'm on Bumble. You guys know what that is? Yeah. I match with this woman. She's, uh, she, she described herself as an old soul. I looked at her age. It said 42. I think at that point you're just old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> boo. I'm getting a boo. This is awesome. I'm getting a boo. How, are, you, you look young, sir. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I have medical problems, man. I got like a, my knee is messed up. It looks terrible. Uh, it looks like a naked muskrat. It looks like, wait, I messed it up. It looks like a naked mole rat. That's what I wanted to say. It does. I had surgery on it. You know, I just, I just need a rich woman to, so she, I can afford stem cells. That's what I, you know, just, just find me a rich woman. And, you know, and I'll do all kinds of things. I'll do all kinds of things. Ladies, I'll eat ass. <laughs> All right, I will eat ass. You know, I have this vegetarian girlfriend. I I eat her ass all the time, right? But one day, you know, I was eating her ass out, and I tasted bacon. <laughs> That's not right. You know, 
trust was lost a bit that day. And found out she was having relations with a police officer. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Got a groan. Man, these, these are perfect days for, for Pinot Noir. Hot days and cold nights. You know? Pinot Noir, it loves these hot days and cold nights. It's great. It loves saying, they also love heroin. Pinot Noir does heroin. And burnouts on the 84 bridge. <laughs> yeah, you guys have seen those. Anyways, um, we've all been there. I don't know, all right, well, I'm gonna grab this up in a minute. I don't know, I, you know, I have some friends here and there. Uh, you know, I had this friend, he told me I gave him the will to live. It was awesome, you know? That was like 10 years ago. I haven't seen the guy for a long time. So, I hope he's still alive. Uh, I don't know, he was a poor guy, so being poor kind of sucks. You know, Jesus always said, fuck the poor. Anyways, guys, you've been great. That's Pastor Sam Bass, everybody. He runs a service. As promised, here's steam-powered giraffe with automatonic electronic harmonics from their album, The Two Cent Show. Ever since the first time I opened my eyes, I've awakened to the same thing. Although automaton friends roughly built like me. The first time I opened my mouth to speak, a steam escaped to the air. And black oil dripped from my lips and onto the ground. What daylight struck a chord with my photoreceptors, night greeted me with the sea of stars. Our eyes so flash of blues and greens through the night. It's just our atomic electronic harmonics. People are soaring, the hollow is exploring, higher than they've ever been before. But we are still down here, feet on the ground. Rise us up with the rest. Our thoughts are quixotic, stark and robotic, mechanical in nature all the time. And pulses are firing in our head, wiring, guiding all our actions and being. It's just our atomic electron.
说。